Recently, a grand old man of the gospel died. He was a man, an independent Baptist evangelist named Oliver B. Green, used of God greatly in a ministry that spanned many years, the last nearly 40 years daily on the radio across the country. Perhaps if you've heard Oliver B. Green on the Gospel Hour, you have heard him as he prays to conclude a broadcast, say so often to God, Lord, save that soul that's nearest hell. Like Oliver B. Green, many preachers who presume to preach on hell and judgment are often criticized for it in today's world. It's not supposed to be intellectually respectable or uh, believable or relevant today to believe in or to think about hell. There is only one problem with the doing away with all of the talking and the preaching and the teaching about hell. That doesn't do away with the place itself. It's still there. It is still just as real as it ever was. I believe there are basically four classes of people who object to the doctrine of hell. First of all, there are those who have ne never seriously and biblically uh, considered the necessity of hell. Secondly, those whose evil lives expose them to hell when they die do not want to believe the doctrine of hell. Third, there are those who hold all of the talk of punishment and judgment in the Bible to be figurative. And then finally, there are those who believe that God in His mercy would not allow anyone to go to a place like hell. And so the question, how may we know that there is a hell? Can we know for sure? I believe that we can. I believe the reasons are numerous, but I want to mention to you just a few. First of all, I believe we may know there is a real place named hell where those who do not know God will be eternally punished because, very simply, number one, common sense teaches it. Common sense teaches that there must be a hell. In our world today, among our civilization, there are many cemeteries. And they stand as a testimony that the dead must be separated from the living. And Scripture says that all those who do not know God are dead in trespasses and sins. The refrigerator in your kitchen with the garbage can alongside of it, bears witness that the pure must be separated from the impure. The penal system with its jails and detention centers and prisons bears witness that the guilty must ultimately be separated from the innocent. And from the world of nature... There are lessons over and over again that teach us that life must be separated from death. It is in the winter that nature goes her full cycle and all that lives basically dies in the world of nature. But in the summer there is life and the two seasons are separated. Living organisms are separated from the dead and from the plant life in nature. The cycle of life often shows the difference between the dead and the living. And in every day of the world there is witness that light 
and darkness. Do not abide at the same place at the same time. So if there were no other basis, and there certainly is, common sense teaches us that there must be a place called hell. And then secondly, justice demands it. If there is to be a heaven for those who love and honor and accept God, then there must be a place for those who hate, dishonor, and reject God and whose lives witness against what He tries to do in our world. Sin and crime may pay today, but it will not pay then. Scripture teaches us that every detail, every detail of our lives, every detail of our thoughts, all of those things done within the innermost part of our beings where no one else is seen, where no one has been, all of the evil that never came to pass because we suppressed it, but it lived and grew and fermented within us, every detail will be revealed. When judgment comes, nothing will be hidden. Life will be reviewed in every particular. And only those who know the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving relationship will be spared from that judgment. Justice demands it. There is no chance for salvation after death. Death ends the opportunity and closes the door on the possibility of repentance and salvation. We may know there is a hell because common sense teaches it. Because justice demands it. But there are better reasons yet. We may know that there is a hell because those who live there talk about it. Luke chapter 16. Here is recorded by revelation because Jesus was God and knew everything and had experienced it and had witnessed it, there is the story that Jesus does not tell as a parable. He identifies a parable as a parable. This is no parable. This is a real-life incident. Beginning with verse 19, Luke 16. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he did lift up his eyes being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they who would pass from here to there cannot, neither can they pass 
to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We may know there is a hell because those who live there talk about it. He cried out. He cried out for mercy. He cried out for forgiveness. He cried out for relief, but it was too little and it was too late. And then seeing that his own plight was hopeless, he pleaded for him to send someone back home for he did not want anyone else to come where he was. There have been many notable agnostics and atheists in the history of the world. Two I think of are Edward Gibbon and the French philosopher writer Voltaire. Edward Gibbon is a prolific man of writing, a historian of the first magnitude. And Gibbon, in his decline and fall of the Roman Empire and other writings, took every opportunity to badmouth Christianity and to downplay the meaning of the religion and the person of Jesus Christ. When Edward Gibbon lay dying as he went out into eternity, he turned very nervous and said as he breathed his last, all I see is dark and doubtful. Voltaire boasted as a young philosopher that he would by the pen in his hand write things that would tear down Christianity that it had taken 1,700 years to build up. Voltaire called Jesus Christ a wretch and many other things which do not bear repeating. The nurse who attended him in his final illness declared that she would never again witness the death of an infidel. She said that he cried as he died, I am abandoned. Give me six more months and then I will go to hell. Oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. We may know there is a hell because common sense teaches it, because justice demands it, and because those who live there and those who are going there talk about it. But then there is a better reason, and it is really the only reason we need. We may know there is a hell because the Word of God, the Bible, says so. Psalm 9:17, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Daniel 12, 2. And many of them who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 25, 46. Jesus is speaking again, he says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Revelation 20, verse 15. And whosoever 
was not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The same words that Scripture uses to describe eternal life are used to describe eternal punishment. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ was much more emphatic and pointed and unmistakable about the existence of hell than he was about the existence of heaven. I do not mean to suggest that you may doubt the doctrine of heaven by what Jesus said, and yet more than twice as often, more than twice as much, Jesus Christ talks about hell more than twice as much than he does about heaven. In Matthew 5.30, another example, Jesus said, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is better for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. Hell begins in the soul of man and so the soul of man must end in hell. There's always the question, given the reality of hell, is the fire and the torment in hell literal or is it figurative? I do not have an ironclad and detailed answer for that, but think with me for a moment. The Bible paints hell as a more horrible place than we could ever imagine. Now, are you afraid of a picture of a great fire. If you hang it on the wall, will it burn the house down? Thank you. That's good. He's listening. Now, are you afraid of a picture of a great flood? Will it drown you? That's right, it won't. My point is this. A picture of something is never as bad as the real thing. Now, I don't know how literal and exact this is when it talks about fire, but I know one thing, it's going to be more horrible and more terrible than we could ever imagine. Because a picture is never, ever as bad as the real thing. The best that hell can possibly be is still worse than we can imagine. Just as heaven is still better than we can ever imagine. So we may know there is a hell because the Word of God, the Bible, says so. There remains a question. Is there an escape from hell? And the answer is yes. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hell is certain, and everyone who misses Jesus lands squarely in the middle of it. God has warned, but men have ignored. He does love. Men go to hell in spite of God's efforts, not because of God's efforts. The Savior who brought us life is the same Jesus who warns men of the horrors of hell. And then we may say that Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then we may say, expanding that, He is the only way. 
In Acts 4.12, Peter preached, and he said, For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Repentance and faith are the only way to avoid hell. The rich man was in hell because he had never repented toward God. He was not there because of his cruelty. In fact, the uh, scriptures indicate in Luke 16 that he had fed the beggar Lazarus. He was not there uh, because of his riches. Jesus is merely pointing out by using this example among the many lost souls in hell, he is merely pointing out that riches are no ticket to heaven. This man was a good Jew, and yet he was lost because he had not repented toward God. At the judgment, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me, Lord, I'm good. I didn't do anything evil. Uh, my father's here. My brothers and sisters are here. My mother is here. So are my wife, my children, my friends. They prayed for me. They taught me the right way. And the scriptures say the angel will look at them and say, Your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Depart. Jesus will say on that day, Matthew 7, 23, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus did pay the whole sin debt. But it is in vain for the individual that does not accept salvation as God offers it through Jesus Christ. He paid it all. We owe it all to Him. And only as we accept Him and our sins are washed clean by the crimson blood of the Lamb do we miss hell. How may we know there is a hell? Common sense. Justice demands it. Those who live there talk about it. And the Bible, the Word of God, teaches it. There is an escape. That escape is through the perfect ark that delivers from the flood of judgment. The ark is Jesus Christ. Christian do not shove people toward hell. Do not show them the way by silence. Scripture demands that we speak to warn the wicked so that they do not suffer the torments of hell. Hear me out very carefully. If there was no hell, why should we tell people about Jesus? If there is no judgment to avoid, what is the point of evangelism? We talk about being saved. If there is no hell, saved from what? If there is no hell, everybody will be all right in the end. But I would remind you that sincerity about your relationship to God will do you no more good than if you sincerely step out in front of a Mack truck. You may be sincere, 
and still be lost. There is one way. It is not my efforts plus God. It is not my good works plus a little bit of forgiveness. It is all of grace. There is nothing that we may do to earn salvation. Salvation is a purchased possession. It was purchased by a price that shall never be exhausted. We were ransomed with a ransom that will never be run out because we have been bought with the blood of the great God who died that we would not have to pay for our own sins. We may know there is a hell. And it is the vision of the lost separated from God for eternity that is our motivation to reach people for Jesus. Do you know Him? Yes. What are you doing to see that others know Him? What are your priorities? Do you, while the world burns, fight brush fires? Do you become consumed about things of little importance while your neighbor goes to hell? Do you shove that neighbor toward hell by your example of what a Christian ought not to be? Or do you, because Jesus is Lord in your life, lead people to and toward Him and away from judgment? May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that your word tells us about all of the horrors of hell. Father, I'm worried when I realize that I'm responsible to tell those around me and to lead them away from that place. Father, I pray for forgiveness on my own behalf and the behalf of this people when in the name of something else we do everything except the one thing you've left us to do in the world and that's to reach people for Jesus. Father, every one of us could have had somebody here tonight that needed us, needed you. There is not one of us that doesn't know somebody that would have come. Lord, the truth of the matter is that maybe we just don't care if people go to hell as long as our lives go the way we want them to. Lord, we'd never say it that way, but sometimes our lives demonstrate different. Lord, we're nothing apart from You. We have not the power of persuasion to reach the lost. We have not the power of logic we have nothing going for us except commitment to you. Father, I pray that you would give us just a glimpse as you draw back the curtain of what hell is going to be like and that it would so change our lives that we would every day of our lives be as dying men telling other dying men how to get cured. Father, break our hearts burden us 
May we put first things first. Lord, we know that the Scripture says that judgment begins at the house of God. Lord, judge us. Draw us closer to Yourself. Do whatever You must do to guarantee that this church does what You want it to do. Lord, I pray forgiveness for any who would dare to disobey You, who would dare to try to run this church without Your will and Your way and Your Word. Forgive us, Lord, all of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But thank you that you have laid on him the iniquities of us all. Father, do with us what pleases Jesus. Do with us what honors him the most. Whatever it is, we'll be grateful for it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On this other matter rides the entire future of this church. If it shall survive, if it, if it shall not. Our deacons have seen fit to call for the pastor to be immediately terminated by the church. That has been referred to the personnel committee. And if you have an interest in the matter, you will want to be here to hear the personnel committee's report. You may direct any inquiry to your local deacon or to the personnel committee. You have a right to know why I have chosen not to fold my tent and steal off into the night rather than to let the church vote. That reason is there are two grounds according to the Bible for something like this. One is immorality. The other is criminal dishonesty. Neither one of those things have ever been in my life. It's not like changing a pair of shoes, folks. It's a grave decision, and if, in fact, it comes to a vote, every member of this church will be properly notified and will have an opportunity to express their opinion. On it ride many very important things. And I believe it is a matter for you to be seriously concerned about. You see, in the church, whether I am or am not the most likable personable fellow in the world or not doesn't have anything to do with it. This church operates by the Bible. If I were to fold my tent and steal into the night, I would be just as wrong as what is trying to be done. I will not do it. I am here until God moves me. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is of me, saith the Lord. Amen. You're dismissed.